Welcome into a Monday edition of the Pop and Vod Show, coming to you live from the suite level here at One Oak Field as we get set to recap Saturday night's match and look forward to two matches this week, Thursday night and Saturday night. I am Jeremy Poplin, joined by the head coach of the Tulsa Roughnecks, Dave Vaudrill, and ooh, look what I have in my hand. I spy, I spy some tickets for Saturday night's game. Could you say they're like gold? Nah, get, uh, that was awful. Black and gold Derby joke. I apologize. Won't happen one more time. But what we need you to do is go to Facebook and not only like the comment, but share, and then also make a comment on that, and you will be automatically entered. So three things that you need to do. One, like. Two, share. Three, comment. Please no comments about the Pop and Vod show unless they're positive. Please. Uh, my ego can only take so much. So we will pick a winner coming up in about 20 minutes or so here on the show. Coach, how are you doing? Very well, thanks. Uh, Saturday, before we get into looking ahead, uh, Saturday, boy, rough one to give up one there late in the winning moments of that. Uh, kind of walk me through what you talked to the guys about and how you felt about the performance. Well, I think we really put ourselves deep in the hole. I mean, you see right there, they very easily could have scored on that play. You know, we did not do a good job uh, in the back six or eight guys, you know, and we talked about getting in front of Hapano and keeping him and Kelly in front of us. And, of course, they scored two tap-ins for the both of them, you know. So we dug ourselves a huge hole, went in at halftime and gave them my best, uh, you know, Woody Hayes, uh, Vince Lombardi, uh, (laughs) rah-rah, blood and guts speech. And whether it was me or not, it was, uh, you know, we made a great response. Yeah. Uh, we came out, got back into our rhythm. You know, we're patient. Score, get a great goal from Kafa, just a fantastic goal. And uh, you know, but emotionally, that's tough. You, yeah. you ride the roller coaster and you fight and kick and scratch and claw to get back, and you get back to tied. And then you know, sometimes it's hard to maintain the intensity. And I think uh, all the effort we we put in trying to get back uh you know we were a little tired and the, and the fresh player brown came in and he he walked right through two of us and and uh we give up the goal so you know obviously a very difficult result you know you you gotta be happy with the way we responded coming out of the locker room at halftime but uh no, i don't think anyone can be happy giving up three goals at home and uh starting off the three-game homestand with uh with a loss right before we went down on the field to you at halftime uh, I had made the the mention on the broadcast about numbers in the box, but when you guys got possession of the ball near the 18 in your offensive end, it looked like that every single time that anyone had a touch, they were surrounded three or four people. And then you make the comment, "Hey, we got stagnant when we got the ball." You know, there wasn't a whole lot of movement with it at all, and 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 that was the case. It seemed like that that was the majority of the time in the first half. Yeah, you know, I think. You have to play to your strengths and you have to stick tactically to the game plan. And, you know, I have a bunch of uh, video clips that we're going to show to the team on tomorrow where we have, you know, two, maybe three of our guys standing with their back to the goal at the top of the 18 in the middle of five of their guys. And I'm saying, guys, you know, if we want to have one guy in there as a decoy, that's fine. But we can't have all three guys standing flat foot 
with their back to the goal with five or six guys. You get three defenders and two defense midfielders. That's why everyone stacks the middle of the field up to, to take away that space. And we just did not get enough on the wings. You know, we came in saying that we really wanted to get at their outside backs. Uh, the kid Richards, who I think is a great player, yes. he really worked hard for the last two games. They were down a man. He had to work his rear end off for 60 minutes down a man against OKC. And we just did not put enough pressure on them. I think Bradley got behind twice. And maybe Ian got behind twice, but we didn't get enough on the wings. And, uh, you know, tactically, that's a problem. We have to be smarter. You know, Ian, as much as better, as, as much as he has improved holding the ball up and coming back, it's still not his game to stand in the middle of three guys yeah. and try and, and do the twinkle toes and fast footwork. He's a guy who's dangerous running towards the goal, facing the goal. And we have to figure out how to get him and our attacking players into the parts of the field that suits their strengths. And we didn't do a great job of that. It also seemed like that, I mean, you had hoped that with them playing on Wednesday that they were going to be a little bit tired because they had to hang on there with 10 men in that game. And they came out, they were fresh. You made the comments going in that you felt like that that's the hardest working team in USL or one of. And I think that they proved that. And it was exactly to your point in the first half. Yeah, I mean, you have to look at what really happened in Oklahoma City, though. They, when they got down on the red card... Instead of going for the win, they pulled Dane they pulled Kelly, yeah. you know, which was a big, big move. Yeah. Instead of him playing 70, 80, 90 minutes trying to get a win there, they, he gets 45 minutes and basically comes in pretty fresh. Hoppano only played 15 minutes. Uh, Lagrasse only played 20 minutes. Weehan didn't play at all. Uh, Emfeka didn't play at all. Uh, you know, and uh, the other defender, Morell, I think it is, he didn't play at all. So they actually come out. Even though they took the loss in OKC, I think they got more rest than they would have if they hadn't gone down a man, which is you know, neither here nor there. In general, I thought we played hard enough and we went at them and we would have had them on their heels until we give up the two goals. And then they get a chance to sit back a little bit more and, uh, and conserve a little energy. And obviously, emotionally and physically, it's just a, a hard road to come back for. And I just don't think uh, we had enough gas. Even at 2-2, I think, you know, it's it's hard to keep that type of intensity. You know, yeah. you're kind of going on emotion. You're trying to claw back, and uh, unfortunately, you know, the sub comes in Brown and he makes a nice play and he and he he, he does his thing. He he beats two guys cleanly and, and sets up the third goal. So continuity is a, a big part of this, and we've talked how the back line is gelled. And through injuries, you were forced to kind of change the lineup a little bit. Uh, Koske not playing, which you know Bourgeois goes to the outside. You had Ugarte in there as well. Um, that is, you know, that's not easy considering the fact that they were playing so well and then you have to kind of shuffle things a little bit, which forces you to move, you know, Corrales uh, as well into the midfield spot. So it was a reshuffling of the lineup on Saturday night. Yeah, I mean, it's bad enough that Koske is injured and he's probably going to miss most of the next rest of the week. Uh, but the two other things that happened were <coughs> really threw us off and really made us have to jumble uh, – Jumble the mix was uh, Jacor Hayes got called back in. Uh, yeah. With Grueso having the red card, he's a starter. He was not eligible to play. And then Kellen Acosta coming off of uh, you know all the Open Cup games and the Gold Cup games, for whatever reason he was not. They basically said he's not ready to start. So Jacori comes into the 18. He actually played at the end of the game and he's doing so well that they're considering uh, him getting some minutes on Saturday with them. So that's all going to affect us. But the other thing was Paris G got sick. Uh, he was not at practice for three games, three days running before the game. So obviously we did not use him. 
you know, he would have gone at right back, and that mm -hmm. could have kept maybe Bradley in the middle. We, yeah. He could have done this, and, you know, in the end, we had three players. We had to shuffle, so you, now you bring – because either Paris could play right back or he played defensive midfielder. Mm -hmm. Without him there, now the question is, you know, who do I put where? So with the speed they have outside, put Bradley out wide and put Corrales in the middle and Ugarte sh uh, slots in the middle. But it definitely threw us off, you know. It yeah. was uh, – after being so consistent and being – really good on defense and the back four being very good now you throw in Aaron Guillen who's never played with us before and only trained once you got Corrales playing defensive midfielder and, and you and you take Bradley out of the middle and put him at right and Ugarte comes in and I think it showed it showed that we were not a hundred percent totally tuned in on the same page we made a lot of mistakes uh, and gave them a lot of opportunities and they and they punished us for it I thought Bradley it was a little shaky in the first uh, you know, 15 or 20 minutes or so, so, but I thought that he did kind of settle in to that position much better towards the end of the game after he got a feel. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy to jump from one position to the no. other. You know, with all their speed and all their danger up front, you know, to stick them out in the right and say you've got to deal with your wing, but you've also got to cover inside, it makes it difficult. And tactically, there's a lot of decisions, and it takes a lot of experience. You know, when, <clears throat> when we played at D.C. United, we had me, Eddie Pope, uh, Carlos Yamosa and Jeff Agus, we played every game, practiced every game together for the whole 10 months. Every practice from January until November. Played together. I don't think we had maybe one change due to injury. And you, you really say it takes six or seven months to being together. And we had done it for most of the year before that. We'd been together almost for two years. Uh, you look at the big the big back fours, you think of AC Milan with Baresi and Maldini and Costa Curta. And, and these guys not only played for Milan, they played for the Italian national yeah. team every game mm -hmm. for three, four, five years. And, but what you don't understand is it takes so many reps and so much time together, and there's so many different things that you have to deal with. That continuity is a big deal. That's why you try never to change your back line as much as possible. Even when they're dying, you know, it's better to keep them together than to break up that group. And... You know, we're, it's a first year with a new team. None of these guys have ever played before together. And uh, it's always a, a working point. And then when you shuffle the mix and you you put different demands on them, at times you expect there's going to be mistakes. But, you know, these are the mistakes that, that put us in a 2-0 hole, and we weren't able to recover from it. How do you feel that uh, Corrales did in uh, pushing it up there into the I actually field? thought he did very well. Yeah. I mean, some guys were a little skeptical, but I, I broke down in detail the first half last night. And... Uh, you know, I look at the second goal that he, when he got surrounded by three guys. I really don't think uh, he had any fault there. My mentality is, if it's a street fight and your buddy's getting beat on three three guys to one, that you got to jump in there and get in with him. And we didn't really do that. And uh, and uh, but I thought he had a great game. He was very calm on the ball. He turned very well. He didn't give. I think he gave away one one bad ball. But for a center midfielder put in the middle of that spot where he had the ball, you know, a majority of the game, I thought he did a great job. Let's see if we can. This is the uh, second goal that they had right here. And uh, just plays the easy ball there to uh, Kelly, who finishes. And he's going to finish those almost every single time. Uh, if we can uh, re-rack uh, the first goal of the night on, uh, on Kafa's free kick. Because you want to talk about uh, a frozen keeper just in the middle between two pipes. Outstanding. Uh, that's that may be one of the best ones. He's had some beauty so far this season, and this one might be the best of I them think all. That's the best one. Yeah. I mean, when you look at that, you sit there and you uh, you cross your legs and you uh, <laughs> you, you give the the hex sign because 
you know, there's got to be someone in MLS is like, I could use seven to eight, yes. maybe ten free kick goals a year, you know, and that's the type of level he's at. I mean, we were talking about it today, me and Koske. Besides Jovinko, who else in MLS right now can hit a, hit a free kick like that and who can, you know, regularly just completely wrong for the goalie and just give, leave him no chance? And not just from 18 or 20 yards out, but from 25, 26, 28 yards out. You know, we saw the first one against Colorado Springs was a good 30 yards out. And he just hammered it and, you know, and, and beats the keeper pretty easily. So, uh, you know, it was a huge goal for us. Uh, fascinating and uh, exciting for all of us and the, the fans as well and I'm sure you're going to see that one floating around social media and uh, you know that's the type of level that you get with with, uh, with a guy like him. Yeah and you should see that one floating around uh, quite a bit and it did it kind of sparked the rest of the team it kind of brought a little energy and excitement back in the crowd as well and then uh, not too many moments later just good consistent hard work from Ian uh, finds the Roughnecks to level at two off of uh, his rebound, but it was all set up again by Coppa from the outside. Yeah. Well, uh, you, you see there where he receives the ball, and also he receives it already on the half turn, yes. already facing the goal. You know, I when you when you're dealing with Juan, you're just trying to talk about you know the numbers and the percentages and what his mentality is. I'm not trying to teach him how to technically pass the ball or this, but you know the one thing we've been telling him is listen. As good as you are, 40 yards out, spraying balls, we really need you close to the goal. And instead of receiving the ball with your back to the goal, keeping possession and playing sideways and backwards, the more you can receive the ball facing forward and be a little more insistent and drive to the goal, then your passes are going to be 10, 15-yard passes to someone who's in a shooting position. But himself, he hits the ball so hard, he needs to go look for his shot more, and he needs to not take the early cross or not take the long-range shot. He needs to maybe fake or... You saw it in this game maybe three or four times. He took off and ran, ran by the first guy and drives at the second guy. And, uh, you know, I, the thing we love about Argentinian players is the, the tradition of the number 10 being the hardest working guy in the field. The guys like Messi, you know, the, the long list of number 10s you've seen over the last 20, 30 years where every time the team gets the ball, they want the ball, they demand the ball, and they go all out. They're running at guys. They're trying to make the killer pass. They're trying to beat two or three guys. You know, look at Messi. Everyone says Barcelona plays one touch, one touch, but what does everyone want to see? Messi get the ball yes. from anywhere in the field and go by three, four, five guys and try and score on his own. Or if he can't score on his own, then lay the ball off to someone who's going to score. But he is the hardest working guy on the team, and it's the mentality that it's my responsibility. I, with this number 10 shirt, I have the responsibility to go out and create goals and for myself and for the team every play. And you don't see, you know, a lot of guys say, oh, this guy's a great number 10. He's so tricky. He's so crafty. But what are they really doing? Are they a supporting player or are they the man? And the number 10 is, in my mind, he's got to be the man. He's got to go out there and drive into the final 20, 22, 25 yards, get into the box more, uh, fake, fake and get in and dribble guys and get off more shots and more killer passes where, you know, it's one thing to hit a 40-yard cross and float into the back post and then hope that Ian's going to get up there and get on one. It's another thing to get in there to 20 yards and lay a little 5, 10-yard ball to someone cutting into the box, getting one-on-one -on -one with the keeper. And I, to his credit, he's been working harder. It's, some of it's physical, but mostly it's mental. It's like, okay, 
if I can stand 30 yards away from the goal or I can stand 20 yards away from the goal, which one are you going to do? And, and he's, he's, you see him responding. You see him being much more insistent, much more aggressive, and we got reward. We got to get a goal on the set piece, but a nice hard shot, and we get a rebound. I thought you even saw a little bit of that. I, I think there were two times that I can remember specifically where we even saw Fernandez run at a few people, uh, and that created two opportunities for him. I mean, he was Absolutely. 35 yards out when he went on the dribble, beat uh, one or two individuals, and then had a shot. Now, ultimately, not the results that you wanted on the shot, but it's it's just that mindset that right. he took and, and, and tried to attack. You know, if you can do it once a half, why can't you do it five times a half? Mm. You know, and it's really just the capacity that, number one, the desire, number two, the lungs, but really it's the mentality. You know, when I, when I, I was a midfielder my whole life. When I played indoors, I realized even though I'm the third guy out of five guys in the field, if I get to the position, I'm going to score a lot of goals because indoors is a smaller field. Once you turn that mentality on, I, I went from scoring a goal every other game, maybe two goals here and there, to getting off seven, eight, nine shots a game and scoring two, sometimes three, you know, two every once in a while and one all the time. And not because I was that much better of a goal scorer. It was because my mentality was I'm going to get to the position. If I get there, the ball is going to come. If I'm prepared and when I receive the ball, I'm already in a position where I can either put it on target or take one touch and take it to a space where I can put it on target. And just that mentality, I'm a goal yeah. scorer. Because we all know as a center midfielder, you've got 115 yards to cover. You're doing a lot of running. You're doing a lot of passing the ball around. You're looking to do assists. Can you turn that mentality over and say, I'm not just a creator, I'm not just a destroyer, I'm a goal scorer. You know? And uh, I think playing the number 10 in L.A. was great for Colin. You saw him, how aggressive he was in L.A. and give him the freedom to go forward a little bit more. And he, he created that goal for Ian in L.A. in the second half. And... Uh, you know, he's taking a little bit more shots from distance. I keep telling him, don't take the shot when you're, when you're running across the field and your, your shoulders are pointing towards the corner flag. If you want to take the shot, drive it in, face up and, and square your hips and really get behind the ball and hit it like you mean it and drive it on target as opposed to coming in really hard and trying to hit one across your body or hit one against the, against the grain or, you know, you, if he gets his momentum and his footwork right and he really goes in and it hits the ball for all he's worth, you're going to, you're going to get results. I think he, the one he scored uh, a couple games ago, he really got in. He took three or four steps directly to the goal yeah. and squared up his hips and got, got good technique and got reward with, for the goal. And everyone's got to have that mentality. It's like, you don't want to just waste a shot. You don't take it just cause, Oh, I, you know, I'm here. I'm going to let it go. You got to get the shot off that you want. And if you don't, put the defender under pressure and go by him or fake it. And, and then when you get your feet set, then you drive it on target and really make all your shots count. And, uh, you know, you, you know, we've, we haven't been scoring tons of goals lately. And, uh, you know, at that little, little edge, that little mentality where let me just get in there and poke at a ball, or do I get in there and really get the shot that I want and drive it hard, low or to the back post or wherever you've got to put and pick your spot and put it on. And when you put them on frame like that, then the second, Ian was the perfect example. Yeah. He knows the guy's going to get a shot, and he's driving to yeah. the goal, and he gets to rebound. If, we, if guys, you know, as a professional striker, you're taught you have to hit low to the back post. If you shoot low to the back post, the keeper cannot make the save. What could he do here? All he could do was palm it down. Yep. And the rest of the team knows that, and they're like, I know he's going to drive it low to the back post because that's where we're taught every day to do it. i got to go get the rebound. Or if it comes across a little low, I'm going to tap it in. If there's a deflection, I'm going to go get it. You know, and that's the perfect goal scorer's score right there. 
Guy, he doesn't hit it 100 miles an hour. He drives it low and hard to a position where the goalkeeper can't hold on to it. And you see we got two forwards driving to the back post looking for a rebound. So those are the type of things you got to see over and over again. Final score from Saturday, 3-2, to two, uh, the Roughnecks fall, and then on to Thursday where St. Louis is coming in town uh, from the Eastern Conference. Back-to-back games against the West for them from their Swole Park match and uh, now Tulsa. What have you seen from St. Louis? They're a different team than what we saw in preseason. Uh, you know, they've had their ups and downs like we've had. Uh, they've made a lot of changes. They brought in some better players. Um, I still think it's a team. You know, there's some teams who say, hey, it's it, this is a tough matchup. This is a good matchup for us. I think this is a good matchup for us. Um, you know, we're going to rotate a couple of players, but we're going to go in there with the intention that, we want to dominate that game, and uh, you know I think their back line is still susceptible. We beat them on a bunch of counters in the preseason game. I'm sure they'll have that in the back of their mind, and absolutely we, we want to have that in the back of our mind. So, um, but I expect it'll be a, a typical mid mid season. Everyone's fighting for a playoff spot. A very tough game, and you know Preki, he's a competitor. And uh, we've known each other for a long time. I'm sure he's talking to them about the 3-0 defeat in preseason. So uh, I'm sure they're going to be motivated. And I expect it to be uh, a ver- another pretty intense and exciting game. As much as uh, we want to entertain the fans, I thought it was a little too exciting for my for my taste <laughs> on Saturday. The roller coaster, uh, give up <laughs> C5 goals. I'm sure the fans were going up and down. But me, personally, I'd rather win 3-0 and be bored, you know. When uh, did you first meet Precky? Uh, I actually played against him in indoors. I used to mark guys. You know, I used yeah. to mark the number ten. I was a center midfielder, but when push came to shove, like, okay, you mark Precky, you mark uh, Tattoo, you mark Pato Marhedic, <laughs> all the best number tens from all yeah. over the world. And uh, uh, so I've known him for a long time. Uh, when I moved to LA, I was involved with Chivas with Bob Bradley, and he was involved with Chivas with Bob Bradley. So we got to know each other better then, and then we started playing together on men's teams out in LA. We, you know, they bring the ringers in and they put us in the MGM Grand and uh, or the Mirage or something like that, and pay us uh, pay us to come in and try and win the uh, the men's tournaments. The you have uh, the owners of all these teams are doing a lot of side bets in the side so they're bringing the ringers from all over like the soccer country sharks the las vegas soccer shark yeah the, the big the big december and january tournaments in vegas so we, not too we know each other for a while great uh, guy oh i like the uh i like the tattoo reference as well oh that is uh it's making me feel dallas like may- maybe a tad bit older but i do like the dallas tattoo sidekicks. reference and then we look forward to saturday as well uh coming off of the big win at taft earlier in the season if the only opportunity that the fans will get to see the Black and Gold Derby here at One Oak uh, with the three matchups this season, two of them obviously at Taft. Uh, we'll see some of the highlights here from the, uh, from the first game. This is a team now that until they beat Reno, which is a pretty impressive two-game stretch now, until they beat Reno, I think that was only their second win in eight games, and then they bounce right back and beat Salt Lake. So uh, a little bit hot right now is OKC. Well, you see they, they made an adjustment, right? They've been going with five in the back mm-hmm. to try and solidify the defense. Um, you know, Reno was a different story because they got the red card yes. early. So that was a good for them, and they didn't come out of their shell at all. They s- continued to sit back, which we were surprised at, and I know Reno was surprised about uh, that even though they're up a man with 60 minutes to go, it wasn't, uh, they didn't change their tactics. They still sat back, kept five in the back, tried to keep it really tight. Uh, but the game against Salt Lake, I haven't seen the whole game yet. But uh, Matt Craven and uh, Dixon on the counter, 
it was you know that was what we were worried about when mm -hmm. we played them when we I thought we really neutralized Dixon a lot uh, but Craven and Dixon on the on the goals were just uh, devastating you know they ran right through Salt Lake so um, you know I think it'll be I don't know what the situation was with Salt Lake there um, you know we're gonna bring in enough players and we've got enough players our depth is great you know we're gonna bring in three or four guys on loan either Thursday or Saturday so we will definitely have bodies to uh, to rotate players I think we should be uh, in real good shape even though it's the third game of the week against OKC and uh, you know, I expect it to be a great game, but you're playing in our building now. It's a much different situation. Uh, I expect it to be more of the same, where we really control the game. And uh, you know, I think I think OKC was kind of. Uh, I think they had a hard time dealing with us, even in the rain and on the turf. And I would expect that it's going to be just as difficult for them, to you know, man for man all all the way around the field i think we should be able to dominate play and keep possession and really get at them and of course we still have to contain dixon and craven because uh they're showing that they're dangerous what makes uh dixon so dynamic he's quick you know uh he's very quick and uh, you know he's playing the second guy you know whether craven is on or not he's the point man he's making the hard runs whether he gets any reward for it or not and that really takes at least one but probably two defenders attention and then dixon is smart enough and quick enough to 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 use that really good work rate and find the seams and you see uh you see how well he moves he's much quicker i think than than people give him credit for and how you showed the scoring touch the other night. Yeah. So. Well, and you just saw the statistic right there. I mean, it's 83rd minute, and SLC's dominating possession. It was like 65 to 35 there right. in, in OKC. I mean, it was obviously it was, uh, it was counterattack, right? Yeah. They caught Saint, uh, Salt Lake sleeping. It's not an easy road trip to come all the way out from Salt Lake and play on the turf. And, uh, you know, it's that those the we've seen it on our side too. You get punished on the road when you, uh, you fall asleep and you, and you give good players uh, too much space. Uh, we have our winner, uh, Jeanette Santana. Congratulations to Jeanette. You did the three things. Well, you liked, you shared, and then you made comments on the Roughnecks uh, fan page there on uh, Facebook. So you have four tickets coming up to the Black and Gold Derby on Saturday night, 112R. Not bad. Not too shabby at all. Congratulations, Jeanette. Hope that uh, they you put guys them in your suite. Pop? Have a great time. You're, no, you're, they didn't. You know what? If they're up there with me, I might put them to work, Coach. <laughs> I might. Uh, I might. You know, I need like a spotter, someone to write you, down some numbers there in the break corner. open the top shelf uh, <laughs> booze for them. Uh, not on my dime. Not on my dime. Uh, I work in radio, so there will be no top shelves booze uh, at all. So this this week, obviously, a little bit tricky and you just look back in the number of games that you guys have played in a short amount of time uh, this week I would assume there would be you know maybe a day that's mixed in there but pretty light for most of the week correct today was light for the starters uh, it was a pretty hard day for the for the guys that did not start uh, tomorrow will be a medium to hard day uh, and then you have to pull back on Wednesday mm -hmm. so and then Friday will probably be uh, a good medium training for the guys that didn't play and the guys that played it'll be a walkthrough you know basically a regeneration day and just go quickly over re re repaint the uh, the picture for the game plan for OKC but uh you're not going to really be able to do 10v10 stuff except mm -hmm. in a, in a walkthrough session and maybe do something on the board and do some video we'll have a big video session tomorrow uh mostly on our 
our first half from Saturday and then a little bit about St. Louis and then we'll really get into the tactics on St. Louis more uh, tomorrow and Wednesday. And then, uh, you know, Friday is basically, okay, let's just get reacquainted. What's the picture with OKC? Where are we at? Where are they at? Are there any changes to personnel? And, uh, you know, what did we do well against them and what do we have to obviously continue to be aware and make sure we don't lose any focus and, uh, and, and, and go in there. But right now you just focus on St. Louis. Yeah. You know, we're, we're trying to make sure we've got as many healthy bodies in there. Kosuke is actually making really good, uh, really good progress. Uh, the official medical thing was they were shooting for St. Louis in two weeks, and I was shooting for uh, Orange County next week. And, uh, you know, he's like, oh, I think I might be able to sneak into the OKC game. So, uh, <laughs> that you sounds know, like it was good. it'll be, you know, he's a rehabilitative genius, but it'll be a little bit of pain management. He's in, it's in a position where it, even if he can run and cut and stop without any pain, striking a ball will hurt because you put, once you get it on the side of your foot, it puts pressure on the joint line and just can be a question of managing pain, but nothing that we'd worry about him going the other way. So, you know, if it was Orange County, I'd be happy. You know, we're, we're planning and preparing for not having him for the next two games, but for him to come back after, you know, less than two weeks would be fantastic, especially at his age, old man. I know he's an Iron Man, and that's your words, not mine, but was there a plan anyway at some point to give him maybe maybe a little bit of rest without the injury? Yeah, I mean, you saw, we, you know, he's one of the last people that we rotate out. Mm -hmm. uh, I rotated him out of one Open Cup game, yeah. and uh, he, he actually didn't put up a fight. He thought it was a smart move. and uh, But, no, I mean, in this – in this three-game stretch, if he had been healthy, then we probably might have looked to limit his minutes against St. Louis. You know, if things, depending on how the game plan goes and how the, the game unfolds in St. Louis, maybe you try and get him off in the 70th minute or something like that so he'd be as fresh as possible for the Saturday game. When we go on the road trip to the Northwest, when you're going to be on turf twice and you've got a big, huge road trip to uh, Seattle, Portland, and Vancouver, that might be a time to, to uh, give him a, a half off not start him for a game uh, but in general you know he's he's in great shape he knows how to take care of his body he knows how to pace himself you know other than these three game trips I don't really think too much about having to rotate him uh, the injury is good it'll, it'll give him a little bit of time to rest the rest of his body and you know that should drive him through until that three game road stand uh, out in the northwest we got to see uh, Tier Young go the uh, the full 90 uh, last uh, Last game on Saturday, uh, kind of a little bit. Uh, you, I mean, you had him in the midfield. Uh, your thoughts on his performance? Uh, you know, I was happy. I brought him off of the wing, uh, knowing that he, you know, not going to be 90 minutes fit. Uh, the thing that impressed me, obviously, that to, you know, he's a striker. Mm -hmm. So I tell him, you don't have to play off the wing. You can go play like a second forward when we have the ball. And I think just that, f the comfort level between figuring out, do we push up like a striker or I come off the wing? He got caught in between us a little bit, but great work rate. Uh, the the big surprise that was a great surprise was that he won more tackles than a lot of the other guys in the midfield. Uh, he made a bunch of tackles in 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 the middle of the field, pressing people, not afraid to just get in there and make a hard tackle and, and actually come out with the ball and start the counterattack. So, you know, he's going to get his shot up up top. He's going to keep coming off the wing. It gives us some more speed and more of a goal scorer coming off the wing. To, as we rotate Rivas and Joey Calistri. So, uh, you know, this time we rotated Rivas. Next Thursday we might rotate uh, Calistri and give him a rest so that he won't be completely dead for Saturday as well. And, uh, you know, 
the fact that he fought through hard for 90 minutes is a good sign. He's getting fit quickly, so it just gives us another weapon. And, uh, you know, I'm very happy. And whether coming off as an out-and-out striker or coming off the wing, I think he's getting more and more comfortable. And he's, he, had to learn, he has to learn the defensive system, too, which he's yeah. d he did a good job. You know, there's still a couple things that he knows we've got to talk through with him and walk him through on video and show him on the field the decision-making. Uh, but he's been a really quick learner. So, And the thing he gives you, he's another guy with speed. He's got a lot of speed. He can get behind, can tra track down guys on defense, and uh, gives us another threat to get him behind. I want to get some of your thoughts uh, on the announcements from the past week. I know they had some uh, league meetings centered around the All-Star game there in Chicago, but extending the season now, uh, adding a few more games onto it and starting, what, that third week in March now going through. So the addition, of, and you have more franchises that are coming in as well. Uh, some of your thoughts on a the longer regular season for next year. You know, it, each team has to decide what's the optimal amount of numbers to have on the roster. You know, obviously in this division, we're not spending uh, money on charter flights and stuff, and we're mm -hmm. always looking at the travel budget. So it makes, you know, makes it difficult, and, you, and you've got to jam three t games into a road trip or whatever it is. So, uh, you know, it's part of becoming a true second division where you have to keep your standards as high as possible. And, you know, we've got a, got a big league, and you've got to get the games in, and you've got to get everyone, get a look at everybody and, and really penetrate the market. Uh, I don't really have a big problem. The jump from 32 to 34 is not a big deal. For me, it's about uh, how you have to be prepared in preseason. I think it's better to make sure that every team has a long enough preseason so that when they come to that first week, they're physically ready. If they don't, you worry about injury problems. Mm. You know, This year, that was our big concern. We didn't have come out with any injuries, but we were definitely not game fit for the first two or three games. And it took us a while to feel like you get game fitness. You, know, you get spoiled in MLS. You go from January, you get eight full weeks. And not too many teams in the USL are able to get eight full weeks and be down in Florida or Guadalajara and really concentrate for two months to get game fit. And, uh, you know, but I think the league is making the commitment. Uh, everyone's looking to add more months of pay and longer preseasons. And, uh, you know, in general, I think the teams are spending the right amount of money and the, the rosters are deep enough to handle a 34-game schedule. I want to say congratulations again to uh, Jeanette Santana, who wins the uh, four tickets, the uh, regular tickets here to the game coming up on Saturday against Oklahoma City in the Black and Gold Derby. So thank you to everyone who helped uh, participate uh, in the contest. Tickets are still available for Thursday night. Don't forget, 744-5901. You can also go to TulsaRoughnecksFC.com and uh, buy and print your tickets from home on that option and also do the same for Saturday. Coach, uh, great stuff this week. Thanks so much for uh, taking a few minutes to sit down and preview the next two games, and uh, let's see if we can go get six points out of the next two. Absolutely. That's Coach Vaudrill. I'm Jeremy Poplin. I want to say thanks to all the crew and uh, Alan back upstairs as well for making everything happen here this afternoon. We'll see you back here next week. And come on, you Roughnecks. For the Pop and Vod Show, I'm Jeremy Poplin and Dave Vaudrill saying have a good rest of your afternoon.